This week on After the Buzzer, I am Ian Busby. We are going to break down the week six action in the CFL. Danny Austin from Post Media is going to join me in a few minutes here. Really interesting how things quickly things can change in life in the CFL. Uh, the CFL had a um, quite a balance of power shift over the last two weeks. Saskatchewan Rough Riders went into their Labor Day Classic looking like they were world beaters, feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, they lose back-to-back to Winnipeg, and now Cody Fajardo is out with the concussion protocol. Hamilton looked like they were turning things around, um, and they lose their starting quarterback, Dean Evans, and the Calgary Stampeders lose to Edmonton Elks on Labor Day, thinking that their season is in jeopardy. They come back and beat Edmonton up in Edmonton. And uh, Bo Levi Mitchell returns. The Stamps defense looks much better. The Elks, like they're a kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team up and down. Hard to say what they are right now. Hard to say what anybody is other than Winnipeg. You feel pretty good about if you're a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan. And you feel pretty much, uh, you know, trepidatious if you're any other, a fan of any other team in the league. Well, Danny and I are going to break that down. Uh, we're going to get into some few different things. Uh, weirdly, we talk about mooning a lot. Um, and uh, we talk about uh, Andrew Harris and John Cornish, uh, Canadian running backs. Uh, it's a good conversation, and uh, we're excited to bring it to you. Uh, that's coming up right now. All right, Danny, we're coming out of week six in the CFL, and the big story right now would have to be quarterback injuries and quarterbacks coming back from injury. I think uh, uh, the big thing that you followed this week was Bo Levi Mitchell returning to action for the Calgary Stampeders. That turns out successful for them. They beat the Elks, and now we've got problems in Regina and Hamilton with Cody Fajardo going down with a head injury and... Uh, out as well in Hamilton. So this is one of those weeks in the year where every team is sort of one hit away from, you know, a lot of question marks, uh, no more so than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers we felt, but their, their backup looks like he can, he can sneak in a million uh, rushing touchdowns and he's going to probably challenge Drew Tate's uh, quarterback touchdown record for backups uh, from the, 2014 wasn't that uh that was a few years ago anyway uh what's your assessment of the way things shook down uh Fajardo out Evans out Mitchell back in and uh again we feel like the balance of power has shifted again in the uh the CFL this is one of my like things where my ongoing debate about like internal debate about whether Twitter is good or bad for society. Like this weekend, it was bad <laughs> for me. I was sitting at Kraft in Edmonton watching the Hamilton Toronto game. And this is when Arbuckle was playing pretty well in the first half. And I just tweeted out, I was like, it's kind of great for the league that eight of the nine franchises have quarterback situations that they're happy with. Right. And like 15 so minutes later, new, right? yeah. 15 minutes later, Evans leaves and Fajardo leaves. Um, yeah. And it like, I, I don't think Mazzoli is anywhere near playing in Hamilton. Like, I've been told that he hasn't really practiced for a couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest, by yeah. multiple people, like that he hasn't thrown a ball. So I don't know why that's not – I have a feeling that if, you know, some of the Southern 
Ontario media outlets had people there, we might have an answer there, but um, they're not, they're not really there. So yeah, I mean, it's, to be honest, like it changes the complexion of the season for everybody, particularly the Stampeders, because all of a sudden the Stampeders who, what, four days ago, we were recording on Labor Day Monday, that's six days ago, not four. And we were talking about how the Stampeders might be dead and buried. Then they go and win this game. And if they're playing a Hamilton team with a backup, suddenly they might be three and four going into the bye week. Then they got, right. if Fajardo's seriously hurt, then they got three games against Saskatchewan coming up. Like you're suddenly, I mean, this is how these injuries change the complexion of teams. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, that's sad. Jake Mayer came into the Stampeders and did pretty well. So maybe these teams have backups who are ready to go. But um, it's crazy that, you know, Hamilton came into the season with two guys we thought were starters and they may have zero now. Um, and look, I, I think that the riders rise and fall with Cody Vajardo. Um, I think he's proven, you know, he, some of us, even those of us who were skeptical and felt like he had more to prove and felt like some of his hype was the product of just playing in Saskatchewan. I don't think there's any question that he's gone out this season and, you know, proven he belongs. He was my MOP through the first couple of weeks. I don't know if he is anymore after the back-to-back against Winnipeg, but that's a huge loss that changes the whole complexion of the West division and leaves an opening for teams like Calgary, like BC teams that, you know, maybe building more than they are, you know, right out of the gate firing on all cylinders. Right. Well, and that's the thing. We shouldn't discount uh, Isaac Harker. He looked like uh, he's very capable when he came in uh, for the riders he brought a lot of energy. You could see he was quite amped up to be in there. Um, and if he's got to be the starter going forward, uh, they're going to have to get him to settle down and, uh, and you know, like b- perform calmly in the pocket. He, you know, you can't play with that type of energy the entire time. But, you know, we're not going to dead and bury the riders. But, man, they had a really bad week with a couple of defensive players going out. Uh, then they have a melee and they lose two players to ejection and uh, we'll get to it in a minute, but how does Andrew Harris not get ejected from that ball game? It makes no sense to me. Uh, he didn't throw a punch, but he pulled a guy to the ground with his helmet and then threw it off. It felt like he was the instigator of most of the, the, the fracas there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they didn't, the riders lose their starting quarterback and, uh, their starting safety looks like he went down with, looked to me like a, a fractured wrist. Um, the way he was holding it, it felt like, uh, Mike Edom, if he's out for any length of time, that's going to hurt their Canadian depth. So it's amazing how quickly things can go from, um, you know, looking good. They were, they came into Labor Day as the, the hottest team. They won their first three games, came off a bye. And now things have completely gone off the rails for the for the writers and it also like when you're asked to pee in a cup, you got to pee in the cup. Well, and this is, that's a bizarre one, right? Because, um, you, <laughs> it, it, it's like, okay, I'm not going to testify against me type of self. Like, okay, well, well you're, you're admitting guilt then. What are they going to find that you're, they're going to, uh, be able to suspend you with. And we don't, so f- let me, let's be, let's figure this out. So, if first, if you're a first offense, you don't get suspended. So this would have been one that he would have had a second offense. Is that what basically happened? Or he just refused to provide a sample? He, he refused to provide a sample. I mean, I was busy with, as you know, this is a pretty busy week when you're covering an Alberta football team. So I, I didn't dig into, you know, what, what may or may not have happened um, in the past. But all I know is he refused to provide the sample. Um, and 
there's very little excuse for that. It's you, you got to do it. And, and like, I don't know for me, like, I, I mean, what are you going to prove now? There's nothing to prove guilty or innocent. You're guilty. Yeah. Guilty well, and, and we didn't mention who we're talking about. It's AC Leonard, a defensive player for the Riders. And he's just basically evading them. He's been around this league for many years. So this isn't, shouldn't be his first rodeo. He should know. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he, then obviously he didn't protest the suspension. So yeah, admission of guilt, real, just, it just started kind of a dark cloud over the, the Rough Riders going into this week. And um, when they, you know, I, I've expected them to play better. Uh, but once Fajardo got injured and that melee happened and they lost two defensive players. Um, yeah. I mean, the band, they were, they were in tough, just given the players available, particularly after the, I guess we're calling it melee fracas, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I, like and like those things happen in football, but I mean, you can't lose two defensive players. <laughs> like, like, like no team in the league is gonna is gonna win under those circumstances. Um, <clears throat> and it's just it's interesting because what it does is it brings the riders back to the pack, right? I mean, um, it looked like it would sort of be them and the bombers, and I know that they only have two losses, so it's not like they're that far behind the one loss Winnipeg team, but it just doesn't look like. It doesn't look like it's those two and everybody else anymore. It kind of looks like it's Winnipeg and everyone else playing catch up. And it looks like the Riders are going to be in the fight, you know, stuck in the fight with all these other teams. And uh, you can make the argument that it's the four other teams in the West. At this point, and I know that this is sort of recency bias, but I probably, if I was doing power rankings, it's like Winnipeg, I guess BC. I don't know who BC's beaten that convinces me, but like, no, they're. Yeah. But, like, they also haven't lost to, like, so I don't know, I guess BC and then probably Saskatchewan 3. And I think I have Calgary over Edmonton. Well, I, I would too. Uh, basically, the, the Stampeders turn things around and, uh, and well, well, what do we want to get in here first? I, the one thing is... Once uh, we go in on the Stampeders, we're going to be talking about them forever because that's the two of us. So I would say let's avoid yeah. that game until we're ready to talk about it. Okay, well, so the one thing, I w Andrew Harris gets such star treatment from this league and the broadcaster that it felt like, okay, when, when Andre Pru was reading out the ejections, he says 30, 33 uh, penalty, uh, not a disqualification? How did, like, I fully expected, okay, you take two riders out on one side, you got to even that out. Um, but it was like, and I, I felt... <laughs> There was bomber fans that we were like, yeah, Harris should not be in this game. Like that was just dumb. Like, uh, but he seems to get away with it. And it's, do you feel like, and same thing with the suspension two years ago, he just gets the kid glove treatment for being a star, a Canadian star in this league for many, many years. I mean, I think ultimately with the suspension and with the, the drug test, um, he was held accountable thanks to, the good work of a couple of reporters in Winnipeg who were like, you know, the punishment for him is ultimately not being considered for most outstanding Canadian. Um, and that was a pre end of season thing. It just, without naming names, there are certain media people in, in this country who will um, always take Andrew Harris's side. Um, and yeah. I, any, everyone knows who they are, but I don't need to call them out. And um, in this one, like, yeah, look, I think this was a star treatment call. I think like, I, I think the ref didn't want to, send out the biggest name on the field and kick him out of the biggest game of the year 
you know, in the prairies, basically. Um, and like, that's fine. I, I don't love it. I don't like it. I, I think he should have been ejected. I'm not outraged by this. Like, I honestly am not. Like, I having had to sit through 900 penalties in the last two, like, stamps at Edmonton games, I'm like way more inclined to just say there should be no penalties ever and we just got to let people play. And if they want to punch each other in the face and rip each other's helmets off, that's perfectly fine. But yeah, there was there was inconsistency there. If you were going to throw out the Riders guys, you should have thrown out Andrew Harris. And um, that's that. But honestly, like every sport in the world, man, stars get star calls. Like that's this isn't like a CFL specific issue. Um, Andrew Harris is a no. big star, big name, most prominent Canadian player in a Canadian league. I understand why if you're a riders fan or you're with riders you're like this is bullshit but um i'm not sure cody Fajardo would have been kicked out for doing the same thing either um and i feel bad for the riders in that situation um but honestly this is how sports work yeah well and that's it, it other than the nhl playoffs for some reason uh you're, you're right star stars get star treatment uh you get that in you know like you said every other sports league uh it's just it felt like that one was like okay they couldn't do anything else there was no one other bomber there who had any major infraction that you would have said okay we watched it like 10 times on the replay and you're like well okay harris is the one that it's on the winnipeg side is the one that yeah doing the the worst things and and it's so weird like andrew harris is like he's such a weird figure in Canadian football like I honestly like feel like people kind of just like in Calgary I mean I'm, I'm obviously closest to Calgary fans like he's this star and gets the superstar treatment and I guess this is probably true of you know guys like LeBron James but like it's not like everyone like cherishes Andrew Harris being in this league outside of the Winnipeg market right it feels like it's a media construct that like and I mean, I guess everyone hates Bo outside of Calgary. So that's that's just maybe in football, in Canadian football, you just, but it, it is a little bit, I don't know. I, again, I this is one of those ones where I fully understand why we're talking about it and I agree that we're talking about it. I also like saw it, was like, huh, he should have been kicked out. <laughs> and then kind of went back to the U.S. Open where I had oh, yeah. well, it was a it was a busy sports Saturday with uh, three CFL games in the uh, Canadian and the U.S. Open tennis final. That was great. Yeah. Uh, the the oh, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, we should mention Harris did pass. Uh, did he pass Joffrey Reynolds? And then he's set to pass Kelvin Anderson. So he's moving up that uh, the the rush like the all-time rushing list to a level that John Cornish couldn't get to because of injury and a shortened career because of concussion. And uh, I felt like when John Cornish, when it was Cornish versus Harris, I always thought Cornish was a little bit better, but you can't, uh, you can't discount his longevity. Andrew Harris playing this long uh, many years with the lions and going over to the bombers as a huge free agent signing. And then um, continuing that. And then still, being an effective player into his mid thirties. Uh, yes. And it's an argument that you are more equipped because you were paying closer attention to Cornish, obviously when he was playing um, it's, I mean, it's whenever we have these goat arguments, right? It's like, right. is it accomplishments over your entire career? Is it, where did you peak highest? Like, I think John Cornish, what, like those, the early 2010s, I oh, think yeah. he reached a level that I don't think Harris is, has touched. Um, but I think Harris is like career. Like I, I can't argue with him when it was like, look at what Harris has done over a longer period. There's no question there. Yeah, um, he's he's definitely a CFL Hall of Famer. 
uh, as Cornish was inducted uh, in 2019 as well. So it's, you know, it's yin or yang. I think we're just very happy as Canadians that we have you know, like two star Canadian players who've done so well and dominated a decade, basically. Cornish for the first half, Harris for the second half. But when Cornish was at his peak, I felt like he was the best player in the league. Uh, and I, there was many years where I, or a couple of years where I didn't think it was close. I thought like he was by far the best player in the league. And um, he obviously was MOP and uh, most outstanding Canadian three years in a row. And one of those years, he only played nine games. Like it, he was that good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not really, I don't feel like we have to have an argument about who was better because I think, um, Harris's career over a longer stretch. He's been a solid player. Uh, I just felt like Cornish's ceiling was higher and his peak was uh, a bit higher. But uh, uh, that's a, a a good discussion that's let's, let's going go, on. Right? Let's do this. Let's say it's 2013. 2013, yeah. we're, we're, we're Labor Day rematch. John Cornish rips off a guy's helmet, starts a fight. Does he get kicked out of the game? Probably not, no. Okay. And and the thing is, uh, one of the like Cornish had a uh, mooning incident in Regina um, that he was like largely vilified for, and uh, he got fined for it and was kind of embarrassed about it. But had that had the ref seen it in the moment, he probably would have been like, "Ha, huh, no, I'm not kicking out John Cornish from a, a, a rough ride Stampeders game, right?" So it's uh, it's very much a yes. Cornish would would have gotten the same treatment uh, back then. So I was working on the desk at that time. Uh, so like for those who don't know, newspapers back in the day, basically like when you're a junior, you just work on it, or when you're one of the editors, you're on the desk, you're taking in the copy that the other reporters file, placing them on pages, and like the yeah. mooning incident. Like I was very much like post breakup, like into my social life much more so than anything. Else. I just like, <laughs> did not care, and the amount. <laughs> copy that I had to edit about that, that I was literally just like, I hate this so much. <laughs> oh, I hated it too, because it was like, uh, you know, he, he mooned, mooned people. And then uh, Cornish had a bad, he had an equipment problem where he didn't want to wear a really tight belt and he didn't really have the hips to carry up his pants. So often his pants would get pulled down during the game and wasn't his fault. But had he had a more solid equipment situation. So we actually ended up with some photos of his bare ass uh, <laughs> in the archives. And I remember our editor at the time was like, you can see his ass. I'm like, yes. Yeah. What do you want to, what do you want to want me to say? Yeah. Is what people drag him down by his pants, like, and sometimes his pants don't hold. So <laughs> it was like, was that a mooning situation? So that was why it was such a gray area when that happened, because Cornish, like lost his pants a couple of times in the middle of a game. So uh, he'll even laugh about it now, uh, many years later. And as you do, like, as, yeah. as everyone who was there in the Saskatchewan crowd would laugh about it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and it's such a, like a, a childish thing. Like mooning went out in the, in the eighties. Like, like, is it really that offensive? Uh, I, I don't know. In the 90s. I was doing some mooning in the 90s. Okay. <laughs> mooning your buddies in, like, elementary school and high school is, is I don't know. Like, <laughs> don't, moon, don't moon women. Like, obviously, like, we're, we're pro, like, can, people should consent before you show them your butt. Right. Yeah. You know, when you're 14 and you're mooning your buddy, like, that's a different thing. Yeah. 
Anyway, well, we're off the rails here. <laughs> I'm down on the pro-mooning side of all of this. I apologize for that. I no, we're that. not pro-mooning, but it, it, when you look back at it, it was such a big controversy at the time, and now it's kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, uh, was it Terrell Owens fake moon the uh, the Dallas crowd many, many years ago? And it was Randy a Moss bit doing it in... Was it Randy Moss? Yeah, Randy Moss, yeah. yeah. So, anyway... Okay, we're off the rails. Okay, I want to get into the Stamps Elks because uh, the Stamps defense much uh, had a really bad Labor Day game and then come back and were absolutely all over the Eskimos uh, offense uh, in this one. How many sacks did they end up with? Because it felt like every play they were in Trevor Harris's face. So Seven. Seven sacks. Uh, they had three on the season going into this game. They got seven sacks this game. Right. And to me, it looked to me like, okay, pass rush is basically, yeah, there's lots of skill and technique and athleticism, but sometimes it's just attitude. Like, I'm going to get to the quarterback. I'm like, I'm motivated. I'm out there to do damage. And it felt like they didn't have an attitude in on Labor Day. And they came back on Saturday night in Edmonton. We're like, okay, they, we, we, kind of crap the bed on uh, on Monday, we're going to come back and show everybody that we're a good defense. And I think that's what they showed. It was a bit of an attitude adjustment. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you've got like Stefan Banks was credited at the time with four. looks like he'll end up with three. And then you got Sean Lemon. And like um, with Banks, like I do just think American guys take, like he's a rookie. Like American guys take a minute to adjust the Canadian game. So like, I don't think it's a surprise. Like, it's week – was this week six? Yeah, it was week yeah. six. Like, you and I have been around this league. Week six is where American first-year guys start breaking in. Like, this is yeah. where they actually start making a difference. Like, I can look back to the Stamps, Mark and Michelle, Devaris Daniels. You just got to adjust and do it. So, with him, I think it's probably, like, he got his opportunity um, and obviously ran with it. Um, I was pretty critical of Sean Lemon on Rod Peterson's show, um, which I went on. Um, and – I know that Lemon wasn't overly happy with being singled out, which is fair enough. I actually don't think it was totally fair to single him out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, so I think they had that extra motivation. I also think that like, we've talked about this. I honestly think that pressuring the quarterback was the only thing missing with this Stampeders defense. Like mm -hmm. the DBs had a, uh, the DBs had a bad game in the Labor Day Classic, but like that was largely late in the game. Um, these DBs are good they're just gonna get beat if you give the quarterback two time that's the way football works and particularly cfl football so the only thing missing defensively was the defensive ends kind of doing it so look this is hugely encouraging i don't know if it's an attitude adjustment i don't know what caused it but if they've begun to figure it out and have sort of begun to actually be able to like contribute and, and, and be productive from those dm positions the stampeders season completely changes they have a totally different look because the linebackers are great the dbs are great and you'll get jamar wall back in time for those saskatchewan games which like that's your defensive captain that's your sam which sam i think brandon dozier has been great but like sam's just a really really important position because you're sort of the in between between the linebackers and the uh dbs so i like honestly even if they'd lost, if they got seven sacks, I mean, I wouldn't be saying they were making the playoffs. I would have been saying that they were done. But right. um, this is like more encouraging than Bo being back, more, more encouraging than anything. This is what they needed. And like, I mean, seven sacks is no joke. That's that's a dominant performance. Um, and it comes from a young guy in a vet. That's yeah. – um, and yeah, then – Yeah, and it felt like start to finish they were 
all over Trevor Harris. He just had nothing, like no chance to let a play develop or anything like that. I don't and, even think he played badly. I just don't think he had any no, time to no, do yeah, he he like he was doing his. I'm like, okay, I got to check down and do a seven yard route instead of like something more deep because I can't let this play develop there in my face. And yeah, yeah and, and that includes Mike Rose and Derek Wigan, who like as always, the like the D tackles have been good all year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were two. I feel like there was a third. Nah, no, that. I guess the O-line, there were some questions about. But, like, it was middle linebacker and one of the defensive end positions. Then Flo or Milade went down, so it was two defensive end positions that we had questions about. Right. Those were the questions. And middle linebacker, Darnell Sankey, has come in. He's been exceptional. He's, like, third in the league in tackles. I, just, I, I think he's been one of those quiet stories that if the Stampeders were winning, we'd be talking a lot about Darnell Sankey, but we're not. They're not winning, so we, we haven't been. But um, this is what they need. And now – and I, I know we're going to get into it, but with Dane Evans out, I think that you're looking at a Stampeders team that's three and four going into a bye week and then has a run against Saskatchewan where you got to win at least two or three of those. Yeah. Um, that's one of the teams you're trying to catch. So if you can win two or three, you're just making up room, making up room. I, I, I have a completely different opinion on this team now, and it's not just because of the wins, because of the defensive ends. Yeah. Well, and uh, offensively, Bo does come back and, you know, I think he was a little shaky early. He was just amped shaky. up. So. <laughs> was he? He was missing a lot of people. First quarter shaky is a massive understatement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was trying to be kind. Uh, when, you know, he, you know, he's excited to be out there and throwing the ball around. And uh, then it felt like some of his passes were, they don't look as pretty as Jake Mayer's passes. Um, but that's the thing. It's never it's never looked all that pretty, but Bo just seems to get it done. The one maybe concerning thing, and I don't know if you think it's concerned, uh, he threw 17 times at Markeith Andals, and he got five receptions, 14 times to Kamar Jordan and got 12. So uh, clearly Kamar Jordan is his uh, favorite target. <laughs> Let's just be clear. That is very this up. Wait a minute. Jeez, he threw 17 times at Ambles. That's what they're saying. Yeah. That's I'm reading the stats. And um five out of 17 is not a high percentage of uh completions. Now you wouldn't blame all of that on Ambles, but they're Am Ambles. Oh, okay. One of them, one of them was the mayor pass in the end zone, which Ambles 100 percent should have caught. He had it in his hands. Um it just slipped out as he was tucking it. Um, yeah, it Ambles has got uh, – uh, he's getting the chances and he's not getting a lot of the reception. He's had, he's had some really good games this year, though. He's had some games – like the Montreal game, Ambles was the guy who, like, I want to give him credit. Like, Mayer was struggling and Ambles was the guy. And, like, they say make, make yourself available, make yourself available. Mm -hmm. like, that means more than just getting open. That means like I'm going to be the target. I'm going to come down with it. And I, I honestly think like he was really good in that game. He was pretty good against Winnipeg. Yeah, he wasn't great yesterday. I'm not going to like deny that. Um, yeah. But, it, but does it concern you that the majority, vast, vast majority of all those passes are going to Kamar and, and Ambles? No, because I honestly like watching it in the second half. I was like, oh, he just trusts Kamar so much more than the other guys. Um I think part of that was some of the drops and stuff, but um, nah, man, it's like 
I honestly am stopping myself from writing the stories about Kamar because like when he got hurt and I thought his career was open, was over. I was pretty open about like just having a lot of respect for him as a man. And like, I, I was rooting for Kamar Jordan on that level as a human. So now I just feel like I look like I like him too much. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like hesitating. Man, his career was almost like he tore everything in that knee. For him to be back mm-hmm. and leading the CFL in receiving yards is one of the great stories in the, in, in this league's history. It's an amazing story. Um, and if that's luck, Kamar's the Eric Rogers. Kamar's the Mark McDaniel. This is what Bo does. He finds his guy and goes to them again and again and again when he needs them. And that's Kamar this year. Um, a little bit surprised with the Ambles. I think Josh Huff, like, I'm not going to tell them what to do. I don't know that you want Josh Huff returning kicks and being, like, one of your top two receivers. He no. just, every time that man takes a hit returning a kick, he just looks like he's just right. dead. Like, <laughs> Well, and it's just a lack of like, – he's, like, the best player available right now, right? Um yeah. Is how, um, what's his, I'm blanking on his name who got hurt on Labor Day. Malik Henry. Yes. That uh, if he was back in, that would be feeling much better for them. But they just feel like they don't have a better option right now. And um, well, they ran with Nick Hawley a little bit, um, right. which was, and then Richard Leonard took a couple, but like you just don't want an offensive or defensive starter being your kick returner in general. Like, no, absolutely not. Um, and, it was the it was always the Chad Owens argument, um, and Toronto rolled with it for many many years. Which was, um, he's your number one receiver, and he's our primary kick returner, and he you know he piles up forty five hundred all purpose yards during the entire year. Well, that's a lot of running. So you're going to wear. There are things in football that like become less amazing to you the more you cover it. It's amazing to me that anybody wants to take a kick and just run as fast as they can at a bunch of giant human beings who are trying to kill them. Yes. Kick <laughs> is insane. <laughs> and it's one of those things where like, we all grew up with it, so we don't think of it that way. But, like, like, <laughs> like I'm surprised they're allowed to do it at times. Like, well, it's, well, it's almost been outlawed in the NFL. Like, they, they understand most of the worst injuries come on kickoff returns, so they yes. basically don't have many kickoff returns. And then punt returns, you don't have to return the punt. You can just, you know, wave it and catch it, and that's where we're going to take the ball, right? So, And it's, like, part of the crazy fun about the CFL is that that doesn't happen, but you also, like, begin to, like, the second it's not a kick returner in there, so the second I'm watching, I'm like, oh, they can't let Josh Huff get injured. And it's just, like, you're every play it feels like someone's going to get injured, and you begin to think that maybe in the interest of player safety that should be the way. Um, can I also just very quickly, since I imagine the only people who listen to this are Stampeders fans, you might have some interest. I got to shout out Mark Killam. I don't know if I did this on the last podcast. They lost their like top, like their top coverage guys on special teams were going to be Connor McGough and Charlie Power. McGough retired at the end of training camp. Charlie Power tore his um, tore his Achilles tendon. As far yeah. as I can tell, they are leading the league in opposition punt return average like their special teams unit has not given up any big plays has, has just been exceptional maybe they're not getting the huge kick returns but they're not allowing them either they are winning the field position battle through special teams um and it's with a bunch of young guys and missing y- your top two like that's that's incredible um and they did make it a priority they drafted a lot of linebackers they, they tried to get bigger they tried to do that but um 
it's it's just not talked about enough right now. Like what what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, I would I would say I've I Mark Killam came into the league when I was covering the team um, in the mid two thousands, and he was just a kid out of university, and he has uh, made special teams his thing, and um, he gets after it. He knows he's because and you're looking at it what he's got he's had that job for 15 16 years right i don't even know what it is it, it's as long as i can remember and it's hard to keep a job in in football there's a lot of guys who move from place to place to place the stamps know they have a a great coordinator in that in in mark killam so they they let him go and uh i know when huffnagel was in, when i was covering um huffnagel would be like okay you've got the last two roster spots for your 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 key special teams guys who do you want to add and um those it's like Yurik Bethune I think is one of them this year um Tyson Middlemost yeah well Middlemost is like a Canadian receiver he's yeah but yeah but yeah you guys you wouldn't uh recognize name wise but uh they're they're showing up in uh and yeah you you you, you haven't seen the stamps get burned on special teams and you generally don't um, and what they did, this is the thing they did in 2019, like they, yeah. they had, it was a real problem, um, in 2019. And like, to be honest, like lost them games. And as we all know, the West, the stamps, bombers and riders were so close that like, you can go back and look at a couple of those special teams touchdowns that they allowed and be mm-hmm. like, that was the difference between them hosting the West final or hosting the West semifinal. And if they hosted the West final, it would have been above zero, not minus 35. Like, like, right these things are not inconsequential. Like they have real consequences. So the fact that they're playing this well, I mean, this is not a team that can allow a punt return touchdown. They're just, the margins are too small for them. So the fact that they're playing that well, like it deserves acknowledgement. I mean, that's literally my job is to acknowledge it, but there hasn't been a great moment in the last couple of weeks to be like, let's celebrate how well special teams is playing. <laughs> the season is going down the drain. Exactly. Well, and it feels like, okay, well, Hamilton will be a good challenge next week because Frankie Williams, I think, is um, right now the best returner. Um, and that team is going to require some defensive special teams play if their quarterback is out. Well, it looks like Dane Evans will be out. David Watford would be the one coming in. Don't know much about him. So I. Oh, there's like, look, read between the lines here. When was Jeremiah Mazzoli last seen throwing a football at practice? Right. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> we I'm don't really know. Practice, <laughs> but I wouldn't be asking it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it, it might take an injury like this to, oh, yeah, no, well, let's rush him back in. Let's get like, and I know at the start of the baseball season, this is a little bit off, but it's the same analogy. The people were raving about the LA Dodgers and their seven amazing starting pitchers. Well, when you have too many of one, suddenly you feel like you don't have enough, right? The, yeah. the Dodgers had a guy get suspended, and then um, another couple go down with injury, and another guy can't get on the field because of like other problems. And suddenly, okay, they have to go out and trade for a starting pitcher. It's you know we talked about the Tiger Cats having you know two st- capable starting quarterbacks. Yeah, here we are in week six, and they seem to be the biggest issue going forward. Yeah, what I will say, if you're a Stamps fan, like as much as I, this stuff does matter, I mean, the thing that should that means the Ticats are still going to have a shot in this game, especially at home, is 
Jaguar Davis at defensive end, Dylan Wynn at defensive tackle. Yeah. At defensive, that defensive line is phenomenal. Although the Stamps O line played really, really well this week, and as well like against um, the Bombers, who have no less of an impressive. But like this is, I, I don't think this is an easy win. But if if the Ticats don't have a quarterback, um, the Stamps should feel relatively comfortable just taking their shots and you know getting to twenty points and and holding on to the win. Yeah, and you would you would expect that they the stamps are going to carry a lot of positive momentum uh, going in there. Um, so big big road win in Edmonton. Uh, the crowd didn't look very big in Edmonton. How how did it look from you being there? I mean, they announced it at thirty three thousand, and I don't know enough. Like, I mean, our- well, that building holds sixty four, so it's really tough when you have thirty three. Yeah. It doesn't really like, look full. If it if they sold thirty three thousand, I'll tell you this, man. A lot of people stayed home. Um, and right now, given the COVID situation, like stay home if you want to stay home. Like no one's going to criticize anyone. Like we live in a we live in a post apocalyptic wasteland where we just refuse to have vaccine passports. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it was honestly like um, it was. There have been small crowds at McMahon this year. Um, but you can sort of wave those away on some level because you're like, ah, it's midsummer, it's an Eastern opponent, this isn't, and then you get to Labor Day and all that. I've never, I've covered a bunch of Labor Day replays. I've never seen it like this, man. Like it was, yeah. it, was it was ugly, it was concerning. But you're also dealing with a team like anyone who's even vaguely worried about COVID. There's no team you're less likely to go see than the Edmonton Elks. Right. COVID outbreak. They haven't appeared to be taking this particularly seriously. Like, um. And I don't know, man, like, I don't know that there are great vibes with around this Elks organization right now. Like, what happened with Calvin McCarty? That's a fan favorite. And it's weird. And, like, you just, like, there's, they keep throwing players under the under the bus as they leave town. Like, great, they beat Calgary in the Labor Day Classic. Like, that's kind of it. That's the only positive story this year surrounding them. Right. Well, and Lemon, Sean Lemon was there at the start of the year, wasn't he? Yeah, they were in training camp, then got got cut, and Calgary brought him in. Um, and, like, a bit of a desperation move, it seemed like, but then he goes out and gets three sacks and a forced fumble, and uh, we're having a very different conversation about Sean Lemon all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I definitely didn't look like and that he was done. Uh, the situation was, okay, yeah, that's maybe a, a good thing, but Calgary picking up the – Edmonton leftovers is kind of weird, right? With McCarty and and Lemon both getting landing spots in in Calgary, but you you look at the Stampeders being a little more younger in certain areas. It certain certainly helps to have a couple of vet, veterans around like those two guys. Um, they're certainly positive influences. Lemon's always been a positive influence. I, I said this on Twitter, and you know that I like don't often call out Stamps fans because I need them on my side, but like. The number of, like, I got emails were in the same email. They would be criticizing John Huffnagel for letting all the veterans go in the offseason. Like, and then also the second paragraph would be about how they should start Jake Mayer instead of Bolivar Mitchell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it would be like, it would be like, so we don't care about the you- veteran Bo who's won two Grey Cups has been an MLP. Yeah. Like, you just like the way Jake Mayer's – and, like, I love watching Jake Mayer. As you said, like, those passes are so crisp. They're so hard. Like, they find their target. Um, I think Jake Mayer is great. But, like, I also think that when your team is one and four, having, like, 
someone who often gets accused of being cocky, but like ultimately is like a very confident knows how to win in the CFL quarterback that like that matters. And we saw it yesterday, but yeah. what a terrible start. You were never sitting there thinking, Oh, they got to take him out. No, um, he just, he's just got to find his groove. And he did. Yeah. Uh, the one thing is I like the, them using Mayer down by the goal line uh, yeah, as, a short, as a short yardage guy that gives them another dimension. And it takes a lot of the, like, it's going to take hits off Bo. Uh, they did this many years ago. It used to be Drew Tate uh, doing it. And well, it was Andrew Buckley when Andrew Buckley was here. And Andrew Buckley then. Yeah. So it's, it's always good to have like a change of pace guy. And uh, uh, Mayer seems to have a good sense of what he's doing. Uh he, they they did that nice little um, option where he pulls back and passes, and he had Ambles open. So, oh, uh, he that I mean that was on that was on Ambles that that yeah. party, they actually so I I just I just like them um, using that uh, mayor in that dimension, and he going to keep him in the in action and get the more he gets more comfortable, you know, running that unit, it's gonna it's gonna be good, and uh, that offense is gonna have a another dimension too. So, yeah. This again, this Labor Day was the only moment where I was like, where I kind of felt like maybe this team was farther away, but we've talked about it. We've talked about them building. We've talked about how that was always the plan. And this was the first game where the second half things just came together. And it was the first time where you're like, okay, things went right today for the Stampeders. Like their players all were playing well at the same time. And I think you got a taste of what they're capable of. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to beat the Bombers in the playoffs. It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to go on a run where, like, you realistically, you need to win two out of three against the Riders, and you need to win both of the games you have in BC against BC to have a shot at making the playoffs. You just need to be knocking those teams off. Um, and like, other than the one Ottawa game, there's no easy game on the schedule for now. So they need to carry this forward, and they need to be good. I also love that, like, we're now what? We're almost 45 minutes into this podcast, and, like, we're just not going to talk about BC Ottawa because that game was. <laughs> uh, it started to watch it, and then it was like touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got, I got better things to do on a Saturday night. Um, it it's unfortunate because Ottawa has now become that free space on the bingo card. Um, which oh, was, it won't matter because the Bombers are going to finish in first in the West. But like the fact that they don't play Ottawa is a legitimate like the competitive disadvantage, right? Yeah, it's it's unfair the team that didn't get them on their schedule. I also think that it is a competitive advantage that BC gets Edmonton on their third game in seven days, and that that could affect the standings slightly. Yes, well, it's yeah, it we could dive into it and say there's a lot of unfair things, but uh, both Saskatchewan and Hamilton have Friday night home games with questionable quarterbacking situations, so. Um, it's going to be interesting. You're, you're heading out to Ontario this week. Uh, I am Wednesday and then I'm going to stay, see the, see the family back in Toronto and be back to the midweek next week. Okay. Um, I might, I like, yeah, I don't know. As I said, like, like not because I cheer for the Stampeders, but because I cheer for myself and have they, <laughs> <laughs> had they lost this game, no one would have cared about any of my writing for the rest of the season. Right. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit energized by by this win, <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty excited and like um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how they. I mean, I'm less curious if Dane Evans or Mazzoli aren't in. Like, they win this game if those guys aren't, in. and if they don't yeah. win the game, then they don't belong 
in the playoff conversation either way. Right. Uh, I think even if Mazzoli plays coming back from injury, I don't know if that's going to give, because he hasn't, in the time that he did play, he didn't look that great this year. I think the Stamps, they they understand that this situation now is there's no room for error anymore. They have to stay motivated and use that energy on defense. And They get they can lose one more this season. Like, realistically, like, that's the deal. Like, you got those three games against Saskatchewan. I do not believe that in professional football, like, Saskatchewan is good enough that you can't expect to sweep three games in a month against the same team. Like, no. there's good coaches there. There's there's um, So you lose one of those. But if you don't win, if you lose two of those, I think you're in real trouble. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's no room for error. You, you, can, you can lose one, maximum two, but you can't lose any of the next couple. You gotta, you gotta get back to 500 and be building from there. Right. Well, you're gonna have a fun week uh, going, getting ready, and going to. Uh, you're going to Hamilton. That's not gonna be fun. But I love. Uh, I, love I, I know you love uh, Hamilton. That it used to be the worst road trip in the CFL. So yeah, I love Hamilton. I'm gonna. I mean, it's me going like I'm not from Hamilton. I'm from Toronto, but like right. close enough to home that like I got my my homies in Burlington. I'll call them. They'll come into Hamilton. We'll have dinner, maybe a drink. Um, no, I'm I'm hyped. Nice. Well, uh, enjoy yourself. I'm I'm getting back into the swing of my uh, my year, so I'm going to be super busy, but I'm still going to be paying attention. We'll have to hook up next Sunday at some point and uh, break down this week's action. Uh, a lot fewer exciting games on the schedule, but uh, again, we're gonna with all this football going on. Uh, college, NFL, and CFL, It's uh feels like the weekends are pretty much spoken for right now. Well, Argos Rioters is interesting. Now, all these, uh, yeah, Bombers Elks, that's sort of interesting. Uh, the Bombers should crush them. It should, but I Winnipeg has traditionally not been that great in Edmonton. So, um, and BC, BC Montreal, that's a long road trip for them. Um, Montreal's been on a, that's sort of a fun one though, because we don't know that much about either team, right? Like that's one. Yeah, where, and like, there's a lot of there's a lot of type of thing at this point in the season. Yeah, and at the if you're a Stamps fan, you're just rooting for the Lions and Edmonton to lose, right? Like just that's the only thing you care about for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, and Saskatchewan losing would help too. So yeah, they've they've got a ways to go before they catch Saskatchewan. Um, They're only a game back. I, I don't look. I don't want to do math. <laughs> the Saskatchewan's at three and two with BC and Edmonton and Calgary at two, three and uh, two, four. So yeah, they're, like, they're, they're a loss back in the, they're one back, two back in the loss column, but they're only one win behind. So they're a game and a half behind if you want to do a baseball analogy. Oh, yeah. They, I didn't want to do math, but you did. It's uh, okay. You can. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Either way, we'll, we'll be talking. Yeah, it's good. Enjoy your week. Peace.